Well, 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 welcome everyone to another episode of Benzinga Cannabis Insider. I know I am looking very good today. I am in Detroit at Benzinga headquarters. Very, very excited. A complete change in scenery. And we are joined by the amazing Tony Noto from New York. Tony, how are you today? Me amazing? I mean, you are amazing. You look, I thought you were going to plug your, your handsome attire. You're looking sharp. You got the cool <laughs> backdrop with the, the foliage over there. It's, it's nice to see you in this light. How is it smelling in New York? I heard it's all cannabis <laughs> smell now. <laughs> uh, I, well, I, I wish I could smell more of the cannabis smell and not the, the garbage that's piling up on the street on the corner. Uh, there's, a, um, there's a Chappelle. Um, the first time Chappelle was on TV, I think, or at least on late night TV, um, he did this bit on, on New York. He, he arrived at the train station and he was like, this smells like urine. I'm sure I'll clear you up as soon as I get out, you know, in the open air. It's like, <laughs> oh my gosh. not really. No, not at all. Um, but yeah, the smell is pretty bad in New York. But, you know, it, it, in the fall, it, it, you know, it gets better as, as we go on into the fall. So We got a very, very cool guest today, Mr. Absolutely. Bradley Natras from Urban Grow. You grow on the NASDAQ. But before we get him on, let's get into some news. First out of Florida, Tony, do you want to tell us what we've been seeing in Florida? I think it's an interesting case we're seeing there with guns and cannabis. Holy cow, uh, this is interesting. Nikki Freed's guns and weed filing slams DOJ for offensive characterization of cannabis users. Uh, it was written by uh, Yelena Martinovic, one of the MVPs on the cannabis team. And uh, it's quite a story. You may recall uh, in August, uh, the DOJ urged the federal court to dismiss the lawsuit brought by Florida's agriculture minister, Nikki Freed, uh, which seeks to allow legal medical marijuana users to buy and own guns. Uh, the government argued that it was dangerous to trust regular marijuana users uh, to exercise sound judgment. So kind of threw a little shade at marijuana users. Um, not surprisingly, <laughs> considering it's Florida, though. <laughs> One of the things that, that, that the team was saying is like these assertion and analogies are not just insulting, they're illogical, they're ahistorical. It just doesn't work for us, right? And by the way, you know, people shouldn't have to be forced to a pick between their right to access medical cannabis and their constitutional right to hold guns. We can discuss it, if, you know, people having guns is good or bad, but right now that is the American law and this is a complete contradiction with it, right? Yeah, I mean, if the, the, it's amazing that we're not looking at anything else other than, than that to uh, stymie someone's ability to carry an armed uh, a gun or something like that. Um, there's so many other reasons for someone to not be able to carry a gun, uh, but the country refuses to look at stuff like that. So, I mean, and honestly, we're seeing President Biden, you know, going on and on about cannabis and how people shouldn't be in jail and how cannabis, you know, isn't a heart drug or anything, everything related to the Brittany Griner case. And, and still we're seeing these draconian laws in America supposedly the land is free but you know it's 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 very selective when it comes to what they consider freedoms and yeah rights for people yeah it's it's and and, and this, these types of conversations are going to be uh uh being uh they're going to come around more often because as we get closer to election day uh people are going to bring up these issues as they 
survey the uh, list of candidates in their states on who they can vote in and vote out. Um, so expect this conversation to continue. And other news out of the markets, uh, you know, the founder of Aurora Cannabis, ACB, Mr. Terry Booth, who has been on the show several times, has joined the board of Akanda as a uh, the chair of the advisory board. Uh, Akanda, I believe, is a company that operates in Africa. Very, very interesting cannabis company to check out. That is mm. a full extent of the news and not, not many other details, but some very, very, very good news. Psychedelics re- related out of San Francisco, where they passed a resolution basically telling law enforcement to uh, deprioritize psychedelics possession and consumption by adults as a um, crime, right? They're not uh, prosecuting people anymore. They're not jailing them anymore. And this is a good step toward uh, complete decriminalization in California. What do you think? Um, I'm not sure. I have to. Huh. Uh, <laughs> I have to look more into it. It's um, yeah. What what, what, are you, what are your thoughts? We can again. We can discuss whether psychedelics uh, are good or bad. They're definitely very useful, and there's a lot of clinical data and evidence and studies uh, backing the use of diverse psychedelic substances like psilocybin, uh, ibogaine, ketamine, MDMA for the treatment of, of diverse conditions like PTSD, uh, depression, anxiety. Um, but, you know, then there is, there's adult use, recreational use, however you want to call it, um, unsupervised use uh, without uh, a follow-up of integration is, is not always recommended. Some people have great experiences, others don't. But the mm. one thing I'm certain of is we shouldn't be uh, jailing these people. If we think it's 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 dangerous, we should offer a better solution. Uh, we shouldn't be spending government money and prosecuting them. We shouldn't be spending money on jailing people. Right? It's it's just expensive for something that again, very similar to cannabis, is derived from nature. Um, so I think it's a good step in the right direction. Uh, and again, a, a step in, in, in toward what is the American ethos of of freedom of people. Uh, being able to decide on what they do as long as they don't affect others. So as long as you're, if you want to do uh, psychedelic mushrooms, as long as you're not driving and operating heavy machinery, why should the state be involved in this? Why should the police be involved in this, right? Well, I, that, there I agree. I guess I just, I wonder if we're jumping to the decriminalization aspect of it without properly giving folks the the training and the, the 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 ability and the freedom to explore the the health benefits and the and their the ability to consult their doctor on these topics and I'd have to look in more into the situation in San Francisco to really like delve into that. Yeah, San Francisco is a tough city too. I mean, uh, addictions wise, it's it's been hit very hard. Um, so I exactly. don't know. I, I like to see psychedelics as a as an option, really. Uh, anything that's not criminalized uh, could become a, a more viable option to opioids, heroin, etc. So deep down, it, it, it seems like an interesting initiative for sure. From San Francisco, we move to Colombia. Flora Growth Corporation, Nasdaq traded, FLGC acquired substantially all the assets pertaining to the brand No Cap Hemp Company. Basically, they're getting about 75 SKUs or products um, added to their portfolio. 
Uh, Flora will pay the sellers 10% of the gross revenue received from the sale of these products up to a maximum of $2 million, which, again, seems like a pretty good deal. Sweet deal for the people at no cap. Sweet deal coming out of Florida. A little silver lining there. And from Florida to Germany, what are we seeing there, Mr. Noto? I don't know. I have I lost sight of my <laughs> script. What, what, what are we seeing in Germany, Javier? <laughs> Tilray Brands, T-L-R-Y, Canadian-based or Canada-based cannabis company, one of the largest in the world, initiated a public policy roundtable with German regulators on adult-use cannabis legalization in Germany. That is super interesting. Germany has been a very hot market for a minute now, especially, I mean, so far for medical, 80 million people, uh, you know, uh, high spending power. And it is expected to become one of the first countries to move to legalize adult use. Many said it would be the first, but it seems like Malta beat them to it this week. Switzerland is doing a pilot program as well. But, you know, what, what, what we're seeing basically in all of Europe or some of Europe, at least, is, is a move toward adult use cannabis, which I think is very cool. And also, it's been something that it's, it's been around in Europe for a while, right? The, the, the famous case of Amsterdam, where mm. you can go into a coffee shop and, and, and buy cannabis with no problem, you know, as long as you prove you're over 18 years old. Uh, in Barcelona, they have clubs as well. And you can go and get a card and, and, and become a part of that club and, and acquire cannabis. Um, and in general, right, you, you go even in Germany. It's, it's, it's not a, a priority for law enforcement. Uh, I, I spent quite some time in Berlin a few years ago and people were lighting up in parks, etc. And the police would be fine with them as long as they were not causing any trouble, which... Yeah. Again, I think it's 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 very forward thinking of them, and and you know a, a continent or several countries that pride themselves in being so progressive, so forward thinking, it's um, only logical to move toward adult use legalization for cannabis. Do you think Tilray is the stock to buy now? I mean, I can't make a recommendation. Uh, a lot of people don't like Canadian stocks. I do like. Uh, the approach that CEO Erwin, Erwin Simon is taking uh, with Tilray, uh, they're focusing uh, big time on CPG consumer packaged goods. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is the, their approach for the Americas, for Canada and for the U.S. especially. In um, Europe so far, they've been medical. They are producing in, in, in Portugal. Uh, but they, they are betting big, of course, on the, on the German market. And they, they certainly have an end with the with policymakers, which I think gives them a pretty good advantage. Um, there aren't many big companies that are, are as internationally focused as Tilray. I, I would actually say only Tilray, Canopy, and Coorleaf are, are really as internationally focused on the on the producer side of things. Yeah, Cantor's uh, Pablo Zuanic, who I believe has this for a transition, is going to be attending the uh, cannabis event in Detroit. Am I correct? I hope so. There's in a lot Chicago, of Benzinga Cannabis Capital Conference. Oh, in Chicago. Sorry. 13 and 14. <laughs> Chicago. House. It's the nicest looking hotel in Chicago and the best crowd you'll ever see at a cannabis conference. The Benzinga yes. Cannabis Capital Conference is returning for its 15th edition. Yes. 15th. We've done 15 of, the, uh, of these. We've gotten better every time. We have more than 90% of the market cannabis market cap there. All the major institutional investors, like 300 institutional investors there, all the service providers, all the big companies, all of the MSOs. 
It's like the can't miss event. You want to raise money, you got to be there. You want to invest, you got to be there. You want to find a partner, you got to be there. You got to get, get want to get into the industry, got to be there. Gotta you want to invest as a retail investor, you got to be there. So there's no, no excuse for missing this event. BZCannabis.com for more details on our Chicago conference happening next week. Hurry up, get your tickets ASAP. Meet Pablo Zulanik. Ask him about the German adult use cannabis market. Talk about Tilray. Talk to him about Aurora. It's a $12.6 billion market. Experts like him are going to be there. They could talk to you about it and you might be able to boost your portfolio, as they say. One last quote from Paul Swanich, and we'll jump into the interview. But last week, uh, we hosted with El Plante, or Latin American um, uh, outlet, the most read in Spanish, by the way. We hosted a conference in Panama, Latam Canbiz, and Paul Swanich was there, was one of the speakers. And he said he expects a cool leaf stock uh, to reach as much as 30x, 30 times its value in the next few years. He says international expansion is one of the keys driving uh, cool leaf's valuation in the future. With that, Let's bring on our guest today, Mr. Bradley Trash from Urban Grow. You grow, U-G-R-O, on the NASDAQ. Brad, welcome to Benzinga Cannabis Insider. Welcome back to Benzinga Cannabis Insider. How are you doing today? Doing fantastic. Thanks for having me. And uh, I will be in Chicago next week for sure. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, so you grow, we grow, we all grow. What are you talking about in this conference? Tell us a little bit about what you're expecting from the conference. Just a, a chance to, to continue to tell our evolving story. Uh, since we listed on the NASDAQ last February, we've, uh, we've had a phenomenal run. We've made good, strong acquisitions of profitable services companies, service companies, and the latest was a construction firm construction management firm, Emerald. And uh, so today, Urban Grow is much different, Javier, than we were 18 months ago. We're a professional services and design build firm, and uh, we're now building 18-month total turnkey projects, both cultivation facilities, also turnkey dispensaries as well. So nice. it's a chance for me to get the story out there. How did the deal uh, come about? Let's start there. Let's tee off, tee off with that. Let's give us a little bit of background on how uh, those introductions were made. You bet, Tony. So when we uplisted to the NASDAQ, uh, the vision, we've maintained the vision. We've stuck straight to the story. We Our goal is to be the leading provider of professional services and design build in the global CEA market. So that's cannabis and also food-focused vertical farming as well. Hmm. And uh, so the first acquisition was an architect firm. We uh, actually two architect firms and then the missing piece. We had engineering house. We now have the architecture and the missing piece is the construction management. So we can do everything. And it was actually uh, Sam, the uh, the leader of uh, the managing partner of the architect firm we acquired that that started to introduce us to other companies that would uh, would be you know, accretive one plus one equals five opportunities. Uh, and this construction piece was the last one. There, there, there was a headline a couple of months ago on Benzinga saying Urban Growth signs over 10 million in new design builds and related contracts since acquiring Emerald CM. I am curious, how the hell do you sell so much in such a tough environment, right? Many of the industry is capital crunched, constrained, yeah. and still, you know, you go buy this company, instantly start selling like crazy. How do you do it? 
Well, it starts with a strong balance sheet. You know, we raised 62 million last February. We entered the Q3 with 23 million, over 23 million of cash, no debt. So we can still, in, in this environment, find great strong opportunities and, and we still have a, a strong appetite for acquisitions. But as for Emerald itself, and it's part of the diversification story of Urban Grow, as we're acquiring these companies, they're strong in CEA and they're also strong in what we refer to as the commercial segment. So we work on design build projects with one of the largest CPG companies, the beverage companies in the world. Uh, we work on MRI facilities uh, and some healthcare smaller healthcare opportunities uh, as well. So for us, if one segment is a little bit weak, whether it be cannabis, food, we can move those resources. Uh, the, we have 120 employees, so architects, engineers, construction management people, horticulturists. We can move them over to focus on another sector. Now for Urban Grow, fortunately, the services side has not slowed down. In the last uh, in the last couple of months, where we've been hurt, unfortunately, is the capex side. You know, the the pausing of the states or the pausing of the financing behind single state operators as they grow, that's slowed down the purchasing of uh, of equipment systems, and that's where where we've been hurt. That's interesting. Uh, give us an idea as to uh, how the second quarter revenue uh, played out. There was a uh, 16.3 million in revenue, um, a 27% uh, boost. Uh, what do you credit that growth to? So it's, it's bittersweet, Tony. Um, the sweet part is yes, 27% uh, growth over a year prior. That includes, we only had a, a portion of the quarter that included the, uh, the construction management firm but we did have the inclusion of the architect firm that, that didn't close until Q3 of 21. The, the bitter part is this was our first negative adjusted EBITDA quarter in two years. And we lost uh, just over 500,000 or had negative adjusted EBITDA of just over 500,000. But, you know, you were just talking about uh, Europe and, and that market and uh, identified about three quarters ago that we were gonna aggressively invest in the European market. So although we, we lost a half million, I can justify that because we've hired a managing director in uh, the Netherlands, we've opened an office. Uh, the managing director has two and a half decades of horticulture and, and automation expertise. Mm -hmm. uh, we uh, moved some of our strong horticulturists to Europe, starting to build the team. You know, in the last four months we've been in Dubai, Israel, Berlin a few weeks ago, or I guess a couple months ago now, Switzerland next week. And we're really building our brand because I see Europe as, as in a similar to position where the U.S. was five or six years ago. And they didn't have that momentum pre-COVID to carry them through like we did in the U.S. And so now that the flower is starting to, to blossom again and our knowledge base and uh, our expertise, it travels really well. So uh, we're really excited about the European market as well and, and the opportunities for for urban grow in, uh, in, the, in that market. You know, you said it's, it's bittersweet. I like um, looking at the financials, I like the strong balance sheet, more than $22 million in cash, no debt. Uh, adjusted EBITDA, however, was negative. What drove that and how do you fix it? It was the uh, investment, well, first of all, our, our fixed costs 
our overhead, we were spreading that over uh, lower revenue dollars than we were in the uh, in Q1 and even Q4 of, of last year. And that's that's staffing up to be ready for the pipeline that we have coming to fruition. Um, the backlog of services continue to turn into construction and turn into equipment sales in the future. And and I've chose not to cut the team. You know, we, we cut probably about a million dollars a year worth of uh, overhead, most of it tied to equipment sales. And in the past, Urban Grow, I referred to us as a design firm and value-added reseller of equipment systems. And so what we've done is we've, with the model evolving today to that of design build, we're working from an architecture standpoint with our clients probably three to six months earlier than we were engaging before. So we have a chance to build that relationship, to talk about our services, to talk about equipment systems. And so we were able to cut some of the individuals that are that are in the field. But, you know, moreover, it's important. Urban Grow is not a manufacturer. We're truly agnostic with our solutions. And today we have approximately 40 strong manufacturers that we work with. So when we're with our client, walking them down that 18 month process, and it's time to talk about lights, we can talk about the benefits of three or four manufacturers and the pricing, mechanical systems, environmental controls, benching systems. And so I think that that true, you know, being agnostic and having the experts in each category is is really providing a great value to our clients. So we do that research for them. Mm I'm curious to know about the Latin American market. You talked about how you're excited about growth in Europe. Is that, has that extended to Latin America as well? Look how well Tony knows me. (laughs) I cater to my interest. It, you know, we, we, we invested in some due diligence about a year ago. And what we found is along the equatorial zone, there's a lot of outdoor growing, you know, the, the labor costs are low and it's really, it's really hard to compete in a controlled environment facility. And so, you know, urban growth focuses on indoor ag. And so, yes, there, there's, there's uh, an increase in, in greenhouse production in those markets, but in terms of a true indoor, you don't see it. Uh, Puerto Rico, you know, I, I know I'm getting a little bit out of, uh, out of there, but Puerto Rico, um, high humidity, like Florida, uh, they're building indoor facilities because mm-hmm. it's so much easier to control that, that environment. But for Latin America, no, it's not, a, not an area of strength I see for the, for the near term future of urban growth. It's interesting. We were in Panama last week and uh, the government, like just while we were there on the 31st, uh, the government passed regulations for medical cannabis. They will be issuing seven licenses, right? And what everyone was saying is, hey, this cannabis will be grown indoors. You know, contrary to popular belief, uh, some of the medical cannabis needs to be grown indoors, even when the conditions are perfect or almost perfect, you know, naturally. Um, so, I mean, there, there might be some, some opportunities, some yeah. unexpected opportunities there. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to close it up with this last question, right? You talked about uh, your acquisitions, diversification. How does that play against focus, right? How do you balance uh, building a diversified company with focusing on your core businesses with the companies uh, with the businesses that drive profitability for you 
So fortunately, all the businesses on the design side drive profitability. Uh, we're just probably three quarters away from being self-sufficient in terms of not relying on our, our profits from our equipment sales uh, to turn a profit every month. But it, our, our employees are cross-trained. You know, building a, as an architect, let's say, you're building a, a cannabis facility um, or designing one, it sort of can get stagnant, right? It's, it's a box with a nice, beautiful front, and it's very, very efficient. So giving them the chance to engage in a hotel or, or a, a small building, it sort of keeps the nice, the juicy, the juices flowing, uh, I would say, uh, for them. But the, the company's aligned. We are still acquiring creative, profitable, service-focused businesses to, to bolster our, our offering or to enter new markets more, uh, more aggressively and, and more efficiently. But each, uh, each of these sectors is strong for us, have you are, fortunately. I just have a quick, quick two-parter question for you, Bradley, before we uh, wrap up today. Um, I know earlier this year you did a, uh, a deal with uh, E29 Labs in New York. Mm -hmm. uh, New York um, has gotten some negative press for how it's handling its uh, recreational legal legal process. Um, I wanted to hear your thoughts on the New York market uh, now that you're working with E29. And you mentioned um, acquisitions before, and if you anticipate an uptick in M&A within the cannabis sector this year. So first of all, with New York, you know, we're E29, we're working with them and, and multiple other uh, operators. But what we've seen in New York, same in New Jersey, down south, right? A sort of a delay, regulatory delay in awarding the licenses. And that's what's leading to a lot of the problems that are being faced by the ancillary companies in the industry right now. Uh, E29, uh, we start an 18 month project. We start with architecture and engineering. Uh, about four to six months after that, you'll see us enter into a full construction contract. And that's followed by uh, equipment about one to two months uh, after that. The, the delays do cause delays in terms of how they're ordering the products. Uh, E29 is a phenomenal company. It's a, it's a female minority uh, owned, organ majority owned organization that, uh, that also has a lot of uh, past OG expertise from, from the cannabis space. So I'm very confident that they will succeed in, uh, in, in being awarded a license. Mm -hmm. uh, but each state is, is different. It's like, each is its own country, right? So right next door mm -hmm. in, in New Jersey, there's going to be a lot of smaller craft type facilities uh, that are going up. So it's um, fortunately, you know, we have the dry powder and the, and the strength of our balance sheet to, to absorb these delays. And um, I, I think as these states start awarding licenses, you will find the ancillary side really come back to life again. Because, because of state rights, when the licenses are awarded, those facilities are built, those dispensaries are built. So it's up to my team to be in early, to talk to as many of the prospective license holders as possible. And so we're proactively helping them get ahead of it because the first to operate in a new market, new market, mm -hmm. cannabis prices the highest, they, uh, they get to ring the bell first and, and really enjoy the benefits, the fruits of that, uh, of that effort. Very, right. very cool. Your second question, Tony, about uh, acquisitions. All I can speak to is the uh, 
I think there will be a lot of consolidation like we're seeing in the from an operator standpoint, but from an ancillary standpoint, I, I see acquisitions uh, for urban grow of, of other and, and I'm, I'm very proud of this. We're, we're the only group that's really focused on the services side of, of the mm. business. Right. So we're different. We're different yep. than the other ancillary companies for sure. Um, so we'll continue to make those acquisitions to expand our reach within the global controlled environment CEA market and uh, also to increase our offering, uh, make sure we can deliver these facilities on a rapid basis so they can be first to market. I can't speak for the others, you know, wholesalers, manufacturers, uh, looking at uh, other manufacturers to acquire, I guess they could, uh, but it all depends on the strength of, of their balance sheets as well. Uh, what I've seen is is every you know the other group in the space groups in the space, they're um, they're cutting overhead, they're they're hunkering down, and mm -hmm. uh, and are prepared just to wait it out until we see these uh, states loosen up a little bit, which which I foresee happening near the tail end of the year and and into uh, twenty three. Yeah, Brad, you're a wealth of knowledge. I have so many questions, including things like you know, is it more. Is it is it more convenient to service a bunch of smaller operators versus larger operators, like you know fewer larger operators? But we'll save those for the Benzinga Cannabis Capital Conference happening 13 and 14 September in Chicago, Palmer House, BZCannabis.com for more information. Come meet Brad. It's your opportunity to meet a Nasdaq CEO focused on cannabis. How many people can say they they've done that? Very few. So Brad, see you next week, and thank you so much for joining us at Benzinga Cannabis Insider. We'll see you again very, very, very soon. Awesome. Thanks, gentlemen. I appreciate your time. We'll see you next week. Bye, Bradley. What a great conversation. Yeah. What, what, what do you think about the stuff that he said? I think that, that was fascinating. I love it. And I love the approach. I love the approach. And what he said is, is very true. There are very, very few companies in the space focused so heavily on services. And I think it's, it's a massive opportunity for him for shareholders, not that this is a recommendation of any kind, but if you want to go check it out, you grow UGRO on the NASDAQ. That is our show for today. Tony, any last thoughts? Last thoughts is I wish that I could make it to Chicago to see you and the Benzinga team and all the wonderful guests that you will have at this amazing event. I encourage everyone who lives uh, far away from Chicago and can't make it in to uh, keep up to date with the latest panels and events uh, via YouTube uh, and mm -hmm. via Benzinga.com slash cannabis. Uh, it's going to be a great time. Guests like uh, Mike Tyson, Ric Flair, just to name uh, two of, the, of our celebrity guests. Um, well, who else am I missing on, on that end? Vic athletes, Mensa. too. Yeah. Yeah, a bunch of athletes, a bunch like Calvin Johnson. I mean, just like the, the, the lineup is impressive. Go check it out, bzcannabis.com. There's so many speakers. It's mind-blowing you won't believe it javier this was a great experience it's been forever since i hosted with you i'm glad i did this afternoon yes sir i've been missing you i hope um the audience had been missing you as well and they have been <laughs> enjoying of the last few shows with your great face yes <laughs> And uh, to, to everyone who tuned in, thank you. And tune in uh, next week, uh, same Benzinga time, same, same Benzinga channel.